Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Man, how thankful are you for that time of worship, church? Man, a perfect introduction to our message this morning as we focus our attention on God's word. And again, if you're a first-time guest with us or you're joining us online for the first time, we are so thankful that you are here. And uh, we are going to be looking at God's word now. We're going to have uh, our focus directed towards Colossians chapter 3. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to invite you uh, to open up to Colossians chapter 3. We are in back-to-school season. Uh, for some, some, that was parents, not kids. That was parents, not kids, celebrating kids going back to school. But uh, I was thinking this week as things are kind of getting ready for school, as, as students are heading back, as teachers are getting prepared, we have many teachers in our church family. Uh, I was just remembering about the excitement that I used to have growing up for a new school year, a new season. Uh, there was usually something that was bringing excitement to that time of year, a chance for new opportunities, a chance for uh, growth, a chance to do something different, maybe make a new way, forge a new path. Uh, perhaps for you, school wasn't the thing that brought that every year. Uh, maybe it's uh, the, the excitement of a new job or a start of a new relationship where there's new possibilities, new opportunities to try something new, to do something different or to expand something that we wish to grow. Over the last few weeks, we've been zooming in as a church family into some of the opportunities we have here at Salem Heights Church to get connected. And we've talked about the importance of connection, that the Lord has designed you to be part of a family. He's, he's created you as a relational being. And when he saves you, he, he adopts you, it says. He takes you out of a, a kingdom of darkness, this world of sin, and he places you into a brand new family made up of totally diverse people, people way different than you. But he says, now you have a common ground in Christ and I want you to begin to do life with them. I want you to come around God's word together. I want you to open it up. I want you to read it. I want you to discuss what this Holy Spirit is bringing to light as you read God's word. And so we've been talking about uh, some of the specific ways you can get connected and begin to do that as a part of Salem Heights Church. But this morning, what I'd like for us to do is to kind of go back up to that 30,000 foot level. I like us to switch the lens on our camera from something that zoomed way in and to now zoom way out back to a wide angle lens. And I love for us to consider this morning three ways that we can make this next ministry season the most fruitful season maybe we've ever experienced in our Christian life. I want us to kind of step back and, and look at Colossians chapter three, because I believe in this letter, Paul highlights some things that need to be priorities in the life of a growing Christian. And our desire is that you would be growing in this season, whether you are new to Salem Heights Church, whether maybe today you're just investigating, you're trying us out, you're looking to see, is this a place where I can feel like I'm a part of the body of Christ? Or perhaps you are a longtime attender and a new ministry year is maybe as exciting for you because it's an opportunity for you to grow even deeper in your relationship or maybe to grow in some area that you feel weak in. This morning, I want us to, to look at this passage of scripture and I want it to kind of speak it over us. I want it to pour over us and I want us to consider three things that Paul highlights. I believe these are three priorities that will pave the way to a fruitful season in this ministry year. We're excited. There's, there's new groups to sign up for, new things that we can do. But the reality is we need to make sure we have 
our priorities in the right place. That we have the first things first in our life. And so before we jump into Colossians chapter three, I wanna kind of just set up the context because it's always important for us to understand what the context is. So we understand what's being said here. We don't wanna just jump in middle of a, of a thought and try to mine it out. Colossians was written by a man named Paul. And Paul was uh, in prison and he was writing this letter to a group of people in a place, Colossae. And he was, reading, uh, he was writing it to them to encourage them. He was thankful for the reports that he had heard from them that many had placed their faith in Christ and that they were growing in that. But already in just a few, a few months, a few weeks, a few years from that time when they first heard the gospel that Jesus Christ was the son of God who came to earth and lived a perfect life so that he could die for the sins of all men and that he was buried in a ground. But after three days, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead victoriously, defeating sin and proving that he was truly God. And now he offers freely to all who believe the gift of salvation, forgiveness of their sins. That gospel, that good news was proclaimed to these people here and they believed it. But even in a short amount of time, there was already heresy that was beginning to, to sneak in. Contrary thoughts that maybe sounded true, but were, were actually not true. And if they were believed would lead you away from the good news of Jesus Christ, would begin to have you build your life on a different foundation that would, would not hold up to the weight of sin and the expectations we place on a savior. And so in the first chapter of Colossians, chapter one, Paul highlights his theme, which is the theme of this letter, Colossians, is the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is above everything. And he pins this beautiful description of who Christ is in chapter one. And there's a key statement in verse 17 that says this, he describes Christ like this. He, Jesus, is before all things. And by him, all things hold together. Paul then expresses his personal mission in verses 28 and 29. It's a, a verse that we've adopted here at Salem Heights Church as our mission, our purpose statement. And that is Paul says his mission is to proclaim Christ wherever he goes. To, to lift up this Christ who is above all things and before all things, to proclaim Christ so that those who would hear it would believe it and that they would mature in Christ. They would grow up in truth. That's Paul's personal mission. And then we see in chapter one, this prayer that he has for those who would read this letter. He says, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's God's will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. His desire for those who would read this letter was that they would hear the truth that points them back to a Christ who's supreme over all. They would believe it and that they would grow closer to him. I wanna pray that prayer over us this morning before we read our text this morning, Colossians chapter three. Would you pray with me? Father God, right now, we are asking that you would fill us with the knowledge of what we are about to read, that we would understand what your will is in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we too, Lord, could walk worthy of you and the calling you've placed in our lives, that we would live a life that is fully pleasing to you and that we would be bearing fruit in everything you've called us to do as we grow in the knowledge of who you are and of your son. 
God, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Typically, I have you stand, but I'm going to have you stay seated this morning because we're going to read a whole chapter here. And there's so much here, and I don't want us to get distracted, but it's been a few weeks since we've looked at a big passage of scripture, and I just want to read God's word over us this morning, okay? And so, if you're ready to hear from the word, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ to which you are now called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in the word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't exasperate your children so that they don't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. And whatever you do, Do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive a reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. There are a few things that we need to focus on this morning more than God's word. Here you have a group of people who had believed in Christ and yet there were distractions that were trying to rob them of what Christ had for them. There were things in the world and in their culture and in their community and the people they interacted with that were trying to distract them from the supremacy of Christ and everything that he had provided them through his death, burial, and resurrection. 
There were lies that sounded true because the devil is subtle and he is crafty and he knows how to frame something to make you believe it's true when it's not. It's designed to take you away from the glory of God. And what Paul's wanting to do is he's saying, focus on Christ. Don't get distracted. And so as important as it is for you to get signed up and to get connected, and we want that. We want everybody who is part of Salem Heights Church to be connected with somebody else from Salem Heights Church, to gather together around God's word, to let God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts, to change the way we think, to grow us up, to look more like Christ than who we were before Christ. It is important that we keep the first things first. And there are three things out of this whole text. And I believe, I knew that when I was reading a whole chapter of scripture, that it was possible for us to get lost. And there's so much good stuff here. I'm trusting that God will take whatever you just read and he will use that to minister to your heart this morning. But there are three things that he specifically has laid on my heart to highlight this morning. Are you ready? Three things. I think if we keep these things first, if we make these things priority, they will actually pave the way to fruitfulness in our life. The first one is this, seek Christ continually. It says here in verses one and two, so if, you, if Christ has been raised and you've been raised with him, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. I love how one translation puts that term, set your mind. It says, keep thinking about Christ. There are a lot of ways to get connected and grow. But before you get connected to community and before you begin to fulfill your duties, you need to focus on Christ. Because Jesus calls us to himself before everything else. You might feel like God led you to Salem High. It's that God is impressing on you to get involved in a certain area of ministry or to get connected in a way that perhaps you haven't been connected before. That is the Lord, I believe but he did not call you to go to those things apart from him or to go to those things and participate in those things as a replacement of him. He has first and foremost called you to himself. His first call to his earthly followers when Christ walked on the earth was follow me. That hasn't changed. And I don't want you for a second as we've been elevating ministry and wanting you to get connected and seeing all these ways that you can get plugged in to be served and to serve for you to think that that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. No, a follower of Christ means you follow Christ. You seek him continually. But I stand before you as a man who's part of this ministry, who's called by the Lord to proclaim his truth, who gets to be a beneficiary of the ministry of this body. And yet sometimes I too get distracted with the ministry and I begin to pursue that more than Christ. We gotta have our hearts reset and make sure we keep the first thing first. Seek him first. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lonely and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The apostle John records these words of Christ in John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, the problem is that sometimes we can look to community, getting plugged into a growth group or an oikos group or we can look to opportunities to serve as a volunteer. 
We can even look to biblical knowledge. Like I wanna grow in my understanding of what this book actually means. I believe that it contains the words of God, the words of life, and it can transform me. And we can look to biblical knowledge and service as what is the thing that transforms us. Like if I get more connected or if I understand God's word more, that will change me. But it really is this, that it's time with Jesus that is the catalyst to lasting change. Those things are good, but they can't be the primary. They have to be secondary. The first thing we do is seek Christ and then let him drive us into the connection and, that he has called us to as a part of this local church. I mean, all throughout Colossians chapter three, Paul is highlighting the ways that when we seek Christ first, he begins to change us from the inside out. Not behavior modification so we can look more presentable to other people in the Christian faith. No, he actually changes the way we are. Changes the way we think. Changes the way we act. He gives us new desires. And Paul here is urging his audience to put off that old way of living and to put on Christ. Put on this new way of living. What does that mean? Well, see the old man, before we're saved, is all about exalting themselves. What do I want? What will make me happy? But when we are saved, he gives us a new desire, and that is to exalt Christ. And the new man is saying, now I don't, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I wanna live for him. Paul's saying, live in that newness of life. Don't go back and live, and live out those old natures, those old desires of the flesh. I mean, if you list off these things, we're not gonna read through them again, but if we, as we read through them, I mean, all those things, they don't lead to love and peace and harmony and goodness and fulfillment. They lead to animosity and strife and brokenness and trauma and abuse. He's saying, don't walk in those things. Don't believe the lie that you're basically a good person and if you just live out the desires of your heart, it'll be good for society. No, run away from who you are and run to Christ. And Paul's saying, let's put it on. That, that expression in Greek, or put on the new man, is literally, some translations say, clothe yourselves. It's this idea of every day just putting on, like we, we get dressed for the day, put on Christ. The result of that is that things will begin to change. Are there some things in your life this morning that you want to see changed? The solution to change is not by you taking the resources of God and applying them to your problem. The, the secret to change, the, the thing that lasts change is to, to seek Christ and let him take care of those things. He'll direct your steps. He'll direct your actions. He'll direct your responses. This is so hard for us to do, to trust God with those details. Because we question, can God really come into my life and actually touch the real pain, the real hurt, the real circumstances that I'm facing? I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. I got a few friends in the room right now that are gonna think it's funny that I'm quoting Tozer because I often tease about that because he's so thoughtful in his writing. But he says this, let the seeking man reach a place where life and lips join to say continually, be thou exalted and a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. Seek Christ continually 
Whatever it is that God is impressing on your heart as far as how to get connected, where to serve, where to find something that maybe you're missing, put that aside and let Christ be the first thing you seek and he will make it really clear and he'll let all those things come to pass. But if we start to seek the things that God has given us, these gifts as what he wants us to live for, all those things we'll grab a hold of and they will be shallow. They will not fulfill us the way that Christ can. So if we wanna grow in our faith, we can't let community or service or even busyness replace time with Christ. And here's my promise to you this morning. You will never regret putting Christ first. You will never look back and go, man, I spent too much time following Christ. I just, I had too many other things to do. What a waste. No, what will happen is the, the things of life will begin to overwhelm you and you'll be going, I, I can't do it all. This is not working. And what I hope will happen in that moment is that God's word will either gently lift up your chin in discouragement and say, no, no, seek the things above. Or the word of God will grab your face and say, seek the things of God. First things first, seek Christ continually. But there's a second thing here that he highlights that we need to do if we wanna have fruitfulness in our life. We wanna grow in our spiritual walk and that is we need to worship corporately. Look at verses 16 and 17 again with me. It says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. One of the ways to seek Christ is to dwell on his word. To dwell richly, it says here. Let the word of God dwell richly. I love how this other translation puts it. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your life. I was thinking about that word rich. If you look it up in the dictionary, there are different ways it describes what it means for something to be rich or for richness to be there. If you're talking about richness in color, you're talking about it being vivid and deep. If you're talking about richness of sound, you're talking about it being full and mellow. If you're talking about richness and scent, you're talking about being strong and intense. If you're talking about richness in regards to soil, you're describing it as full of the nutrients necessary for fruitful growth. If you're talking about richness in seasoning, you're talking about something that's either sweet or savory. It's always dangerous to talk about food on a Sunday morning, but we know that a good meal typically is something that has taken the, the, the things we're going to consume and there's been seasonings or marinades that are put on that and, and you give it time for those things to start to work themselves in and it brings out flavors that are there that you might not experience otherwise. You and I are called to let the word of God dwell richly in us and begin to fill our lives. Not just with a surface level reading, not with just a Sunday morning, hear the word of God and then step away from it until the next Sunday morning, but every day, let it continue to fill us up with the truth of who God is. That's one of the ways that we see Christ. That's one of the ways we keep our eyes fixed on the things above. We are to do this both individually and corporately. That word corporately, if you're not familiar, it just means together that we are to worship together. We are to gather around God's word together. It says that here. Let it dwell richly among you. 
And what will happen if we do that? Well, there's a couple of things the word of God does when we dwell on it. The first thing it says here is that it teaches us. It will instruct us. We come to God's word looking for information and truth and God's word always delivers. But there's another thing that the word of God will do if we will dwell richly on it and it will admonish us. That means it will highlight areas where we are not walking in step with the Lord and it will give us a path of correction. If we're honest, that's maybe one of the reasons why we don't dwell on it because we don't want the conviction. And we are to do this together. We're to, to teach one another and admonish one another, not with our own ideas, not with a word from man, but the word of the Lord. And one of the ways we're called to do that is through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and musical worship. See, Paul is calling the church to gather around the word and to respond to what the word of God is teaching us and admonishing us to respond in singing. Why? Because corporate worship, coming together and to actually sing with one another adds a richness to our study of God's word. See, worship is supposed to be a response to what the word of God is teaching us. So if we come to church on a Sunday morning and we start with worship before the word, what we are hoping has taken place is you've been in the word, letting it dwell richly in your life and you're coming together and we're all gonna come together and we're gonna respond to what God's been teaching us this whole week. We're gonna worship him together. But if we have not been soaking in the word, our worship dries up. And we might even come into a, a church service on a Sunday morning and go, I just can't even sing. I got nothing to say. One pastor described worship, what it could look like, like this. Imagine what would happen if each person in the congregation was seeking the face of God throughout the week. Someone encounter sorrow, others major happiness, but all would have a story to tell of God's faithfulness in good times and bad. What would happen if we came worshiping to church, filled with an awareness of his presence before we even reached the door? Well, for one, the lead worshiper's job would be a lot easier. And the intensity of our collective offering would be full on. Can you see it? all our personal streams of worship flowing into one surging river, one mighty anthem, one beautiful mosaic, telling an even greater story of who God is and what he's done. People leave a gathering like that, inspired to see him as never before. And they come back again, bringing worship with them, starting the cycle all over again. Worshiping together produces a benefit to all. There is no substitute for coming together physically with other believers to worship in response to God's word. Pastor Justin hit on this last week. We understand that there are times and seasons where we might not be able to physically be in the room together. And, and many of us know that through the course of the last couple of years, there's been an investment in our church to provide a high quality stream and recording of our service so that those who can't be here can still feel a part of the worship and get to, to hear God's word proclaimed. But that was never intended to replace this. And so as one of, one of your pastors, I'm calling you 
to continue to gather. And I'm calling those who, who aren't here, who, who maybe have been away for a while, that to come and to gather because there is nothing that can substitute corporate worship. Sometimes we've been seeking God. We've been trying to seek the things above for a while and, and we're looking and, and, and we just don't, we don't seem to find the answers. Maybe that's true for you this morning. And like that, that quote, sometimes we'll, we'll come away from a week of seeking the Lord and we're, we're feeling discouraged. Sometimes we seek the Lord and man, he's given us answers. He's answering, he's opening our eyes to truth. But the reality is this, when we come together and worship, it benefits everyone there. And one way it does is this. I, I love how one pastor put it this way. When you can't see the plan, trust the pattern. When you can't see God's plan, trust God's pattern. When you've been seeking him and he hasn't brought you an answer to the thing that you are facing right there, trust his pattern over all the years, all his faithfulness, the century, since the beginning of time where he has been faithful to those who are faithful. And he has been faithful to those who have been unfaithful. That's the more amazing point. And what, what, what does worship do? We come this morning and our team leads us in worship that says he has been faithful he has never left us. So whether you have felt something has come from your seeking this week or you have felt like distant from the Lord, coming together and worshiping can minister to you in a way that you can't get when we're not here. As good as it sounds coming through our televisions or through a podcast, God knows and he calls us to be together. There's a fruitfulness in ministry that will not happen if we are isolated and independent on our own. He's calling us to be together. So first things first, seek Christ. Secondly, worship corporately. Last one is this. We need to pray consistently. Regular prayer helps combat the daily distractions that often push us towards doubt, discouragement, and discontentment. Paul's writing this letter and he's talking about to seek things above. And he's saying, this is what will happen in your life. You will put off the old man, you'll put on the new man. And then he gives all these descriptions relationally, how, how seeking Christ will actually improve every human relationship. If those involved in that relationship are both seeking Christ. And then he calls us to come together and to worship and to let the word of God dwell in us together richly and to be worshiping together and let that admonish and teach us and, and grow us. And then he wraps up this section of his letter in chapter four, verse two. And he says this, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. We all face those daily distractions. They're the struggles that we face from living in a broken and fallen world. Oftentimes they, they, they come and they're regarding something that we can't see. Those daily distractions get us worried or they can kind of cause us to start to doubt God or possibly lead us into to, to a season of discouragement because they're just the fear of the unknown or the fact that we're losing control and we're not knowing how we're gonna gain it or we can't see a way out and we begin to feel overwhelmed. He calls us here to pray consistently. I remember when I was a kid, there were a couple of times where I was maybe not being careful or I got riding my bike too fast and it crashed and scraped a knee or scraped an elbow. Have you ever experienced that? When you're little, you're pretty confident that you've lost the whole limb. 
right? You can't even look at it. You don't want to bring your eyes to see the reality of what's been left behind. And then there's the good parent that comes along tenderly and kindly and just says, hey, are you okay? And they begin to, to move it. And, and they, hey, no, no, look, look, see, it's not as bad as you think. It's a scrape. Yeah, it hurts. Let's, let's, take, let's, let's clean that out. Let's get a Band-Aid on it. But you're going to make it. There are some times in our lives spiritually where daily distractions are scrapes on our knees and elbows, but we, make, we think it's like we just lost a limb. We think they are fatal blows to our life and happiness. But prayer, talking to God, allows us to be reminded by the Spirit of God as he reminds us of the truth of the word that we've read and as he starts to comfort us with his Holy Spirit, we can say, no, 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 hey, it's not that bad. Yeah, there's some, we gotta clean that out. But I'm right here. You're gonna make it. Paul says here, devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert. Why would he say stay alert? Well, it's because we have an enemy prowling around. We have someone that wants to see us get discouraged, wants, us to, see, wants to see us doubt God, wants to see us be fearful of the future. I love, a pastor put it like this and it's been just, I wrote it down, not knowing when I would ever use it or read it again, but as I was preparing, I'm like, oh, that's right. That one pastor said it like this. It was so impactful to me. He said it like this. The devil has been defeated, but he hopes you give up first. The devil has been defeated, but he hopes you give up first. Paul says, be alert. Prayer will keep us more alert. It'll make us more wise to what is actually not true. It's a, it's a fiery arrow from the enemy. We pray, God will open our eyes and say, he will remind us of truth that will combat the lies of the enemy. But he also says, pray with thanksgiving. See, if we pray to God, not just say, God, help, God, help. I say, God, thank you. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your provision. Prayer actually can help us stay grateful, can help us with a, have a thankful heart. That will also help us combat the lies of the world that says, this is actually gonna be better for you than what God has offered. Or the things that the world tries to do to, to, to stir us up, to be discontent in what Christ has offered us and what Christ has provided for us so that we are always looking for something else rather than who he is. And we stop seeking him, we seek something else. Prayer increases our awareness of the enemy's tactics, but it also keeps us aware of God's goodness. And he says, devote yourselves to this. Why? Because prayer can be difficult to do consistently. Uh, this summer, I did something that I never thought I would ever do. And people who knew me growing up and knew me in my adult life would say, there's no way he would ever choose to do that. I hiked a mountain. I hiked the South Sister. That would have been punishment my whole life. People can talk about the beauty and grandeur of creation, but I'm like, did I do something wrong? Like I had to hike this mountain? It was amazing. It was a feat. It was, it was hard. It required some training, but I made it. But that last stretch, if you've ever hiked, hiked the South Sister, that last stretch of the mountain seems to be straight vertical. 
There's no solid footing. It's all just lava crushed rock. It's sli- every step you take, it's sliding and the oxygen is getting thin as you're approaching 10,000 plus feet. And as you look up and you're questioning, can I make it? The next thing you just need to do is you just gotta take a few more steps and you get to a spot and you just let your body kind of recharge and then you take a few more steps. And then you take a few more steps. And you, take few, and you know what happens? You get to the top. And once you get there, you're, you look back at, at what you've been able to accomplish. You're like, man, that was so hard, but look at this. It's amazing up here. And then you're quickly reminded, ah, now I gotta go all the way down. <laughs> Prayer is different than that. Prayer is a hard discipline. In fact, as we've called our church to pray, our church has been a church of prayer and there has been a core of our church that has prayed consistently for decades. They meet early, they pray faithfully. But as we've called our church to come together for prayer, sometimes those aren't the most uh, best attended events. Why? Because it can be awkward or intimidating or it's just difficult. And I just don't even know what to say. So I'm just gonna pray in secret. I'm gonna pray away. I think we as a church need to, to just take a few more steps towards that discipline, devote ourselves to prayer in a way that's different than maybe we have in the past. Another pastor put it like this. Paul says we should pray without ceasing, meaning that we should, if possible, do everything all day with conscious reference to God. There should be background music of thankfulness and joy behind every incident in our day, audible only to us. This kind of spontaneous and constant prayer during the day should be a habit of the heart. We will never develop it, however, unless we take up the discipline of regular daily prayer. See, prayer is one of the earthly things. Three things that we need to keep first if we're going to allow this season of ministry and these new opportunities to be the most fruitful they can be. We have to seek Christ first. Don't let your participation in body life replace time with Jesus. Seek him, read the word, talk to him, pray, listen. We need to come together regularly and worship together. Responding to the word of God and we need to pray consistently. We believe in this so much as a church, we are implementing an intentional time into the rhythm of our church calendar this next year, outside of Sunday mornings to come together as a church, to see Christ, to worship and to pray. As you head out this morning, you're gonna be given a card. I I pray that you would take it, Uh, but it's gonna have the dates One of the things that we've done, we've talked with all of our ministry leaders and we've built our ministry calendar. Every ministry is on the same calendar and we've all agreed that every six weeks in this next year, we are committing to inviting our church together for a a, a time of prayer and praise. My hope and desire is that our church, which is two services and plus people watching online, that there would be such a great turnout to this that we would have to, have to have a plan B for the second time we do it because we can't fit everybody in the room. But our desire is this, every ministry is gonna pause that week. We're not taking a break. We're not saying, okay, there's no small group this week. There's no growth group this week. There's no kids ministry this week. But all those ministries are gonna pause so that we can all as a church come together to pray and to worship the Lord in an intentional 
way. I hope that you'll grab one of these cards that you can know, like, when is it going to break? If you're in women's ministry, they're going to break on these weeks, not so that you can have a week off, but so that you can come to the prayer and praise night. If you're in men's growth, same thing. Kids ministry, same thing. Why would we do that? Why would we, why would we purposely put that into our schedule? Wouldn't that seem to break up the rhythm of growth group and discipleship process? Wouldn't that be something that would just become an inconvenience? It's because we believe in it. We want to keep the first thing first. That means we want to see Christ together. And we've been laying out for you as a church family, this vision we have for three gifts to the city. We've been laying out this desire for, for more people to come in and to, to be saved through a belief in the gospel. We've been laying out our desire to continue to, to have people get connected and participate in these different ministries that we have provided for you. But there's a verse that keeps coming to mind that then we have to remember and what drives us to say, but we got to keep bringing this before the Lord and seeking his will. It comes out of Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. And unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. We can, we can have great plans and all the plans that we've presented to you as church leadership have been prayed over. But even though we have a vision of where we want to go, God is still laying out the steps we need to take to accomplish that vision. And we don't want it just to be a, a, a small group of people that are seeking the Lord's direction. We want our whole church saying, God, we believe you called us to be about that. And we're going to pray together for the things of the church. And we're going to let God guide us together in unity so that we accomplish his will so that he is exalted and we are not. Amen? Amen. And you might go, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't want to pray out loud. I don't want to pray with other people. Take, just take the next few steps. Just come and sit in the room. Just come and be a part of it. We'll never make it if we don't take that next step. But the second reason we want to do it is we want to be obedient to God's word. I believe Paul has called us here to not only seek Christ first, but to come together and worship together and to pray together. If we keep those things first, I believe we will have a spiritual fruit that only God can get the credit for. Would you pray with me? As we bring our service to a close, I'm just wanting to lay out a couple of questions to everyone in the room and those watching online. What do we do with this message? What do we do with this, this call about our priorities? How should we respond? Perhaps this morning you've, you're here and you would say, I, I'm not in a relationship with Christ, so I don't even know how to make something a priority without that. I would say to you, if, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, the first thing to do this morning, the way that you could respond to what God has pro proclaimed in his word today is to seek him. Is to say, I need Christ. He is supreme. Everything else I've been living my life for, everything else I've been pursuing has been a cheap copy of something that can only be found in Christ. It's a flimsy foundation. It has, it has failed me. If you will pray to the Lord and say, I, I need you. I believe that your son died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. I, I need you to fill me with this new life. Help me to put on this new man and to seek you more. He will answer that prayer. He will forgive your sins. He will place you into his family and you will have newness of life. If you want help with that, 
ask the person that invited you here today or come up and see us up front at the end or find someone that looks like they might be able to help and ask them, will you help me to start that relationship? But if you are someone who comes this morning and you have faith in Christ, I would just ask you to consider this. Paul has highlighted three priorities that sometimes get pushed to the side in the busyness of life and in the obligations that we find on ourselves. And I would just ask you to consider this morning as we close in prayer, which of these three areas do you need the Lord to help you grow in this year? Is it seeking him more? Is it being more connected through corporate worship? Or is it being more consistent in your prayer life? It could be all three. It could be two. It might just be one. But I believe all of us have room to grow in some area. And the Lord is the one that will help that come to pass. Father God, we are so excited about this new ministry year, an opportunity for new growth, new life. God, before we get ahead of you and start to try to take advantage of everything you've provided, help us to seek you first. Help us to place ourselves into the ministry of this church, allowing it to minister to us through the, the singing and the worship around your word. And God, draw us closer to you through a personal prayer life and allow that to be the catalyst for change and growth in this next year. We pray this in your son's name, amen.